Well, welcome everybody that is in the sanctuary here and welcome everybody that is watching online at home. Um, we believe that you are here by divine purpose. It's no accident that you came today. It's no accident that you drove your car to third church or you flipped on this on your YouTube channel. We believe God wants to speak to you today. That there's a message that he has prepared for your heart at such a time as this. And so I pray today that as we enter into that, that your spirit be awake to receive that gift that he has for you. Now, Wednesday, we kicked off the Lenten season. And Pastor Allie brought us into the wilderness. And she talked about the wilderness. And in Lent, it's a time that we remain in the bright sadness of Jesus journeying to the cross. We take that time to reflect alone in the depths of our humanities, our sins and our self-sufficient attitudes that put Jesus on the cross. And I, I'm going to be just frank with everybody. For me, as I was preparing this message, I'm like, God, why do I always have to do Lent? Like, I am a person of hope. Like, I speak in hope. I speak about what the future could be and like all that God has for us and the joy and the hope and all that. And I'm like, and I got to speak about Jesus dying. And I'm like, Aren't, haven't we been through enough, you know, in this season? And as I was sitting here singing today, God reminded me, there is a massive difference between lost, between being lost and being in the wilderness where you're walking in with God. You know, a lot of us, I think, in this season feel lost, right? Where the things that we knew, the things that we clung to, the things that were normal have been stripped from us. And so we felt lost, kind of like a ship at sea that just doesn't know where it's going. And what Jesus is asking us and the Holy Spirit is prompting us is that in this Lenten season is he wants us to be intentional in our wilderness to bring us to a place to the cross so that there is a joy and a purpose that's revealed in his time. Massive difference between being lost and in the wilderness with a purpose. And so, my friends, as much as I would love to speak on some happy subject or some subject that would be easy, we need a journey to the cross. See, there is no resurrection without the crucifixion. And for me, I, I want to go to that crucifixion. I want to go to that resurrection. I want to talk about the resurrected Jesus and, and all that, and I kind of just want to skip over the whole crucifixion. I either want to turn around or run from it, I want to go backwards, or I want to go around it, but no way, chance, do I really want to walk through it. But my friends, we need to sit at the foot of the cross. We need to hear those crowds yelling and mocking Jesus. We need to hear the sobs of Mary. Jesus straining for those breaths while he hung on that cross. We need to feel the blood that splatters from the nails piercing his hands. The water and the blood rushing from his side when his side is pierced. 
when you smell that blood and that dirt and that sweat, that death that was happening on the cross, the chaos of the crowds, the exhaustion of a Christ. For it was love on full display, Jesus' flesh torn and battered, and his blood-stained strips of cloth hanging on the cross. When you sit in that excruciating death to understand life and life in the full. One thing that I've, I've learned on my journey, in particular with my friends down in Haiti, is there's this weird, weird thing that happens between pain and joy. Like, it's just this weird dichotomy that you're like, how do those two really go together? But you see, right now in our, our current culture, if you ask people their deepest desires of their hearts, they did a survey across the country of what's the deepest desire of people's heart and what do you think people were running after the most that they said, this is my desire in my heart. If I could have one thing, I would want this. And they said, happiness. The thing about happiness is it's a fickle thing, right? It's an emotion. It comes and it goes and it's, there's no depth to happiness. It's, it's this thing that we all want and we need, but we, so we want this happiness. And so to obtain this happiness, we in turn try to numb anything that makes us feel pain. So let's, let's flip on some more Netflix and just binge watch this. Let's go and take some more pain medication or grab another pill or grab another drink. Let's go flip mindlessly through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Let's go shop online. Let's do anything so we will not feel anything that we need to feel because I don't want to feel that because it's not happy. But the thing about that is, is if you don't deal and you don't let the pain come inside of you, it robs you of the joy and the happiness that God wants for you as you walk through it. Jesus bore scars. There were scars on his hands and feet. There were scars on his side. And that's how people recognized him when he was resurrected, was the scars. And my friends, we need to sit in the pain sometimes. And we need to sit in our scars. We need to sit in that which God has done for us so that we can go through it to have incredible joy on the backside. So I've learned this from my Haitian friends, as I mentioned. So up on the screen, there's gonna be a picture of Pastor Wilna. And Pastor Wilna is one of the most incredible people I've ever met. Uh, there's just a joy that resides in her. She goes in journeys with all of our pregnant mothers, um, children under the age of two. She's with, she's with over 350 mothers or expected mothers uh, every day, every week. And the thing about that journey is it's incredibly painful because there's a lot of them that have buried past children. There's a lot of them that have bad situations where there's no father around or it's a really bad home situation or there's things that have occurred. But Pastor Wilna has learned that 
I am going to walk in the pain because that's going to allow me to be incredibly joyful on the backside. And so when she worships, she worships from her toes. Like you've ever been around those people, like they just can't help themselves. They start moving and dancing and they start singing. When she prays, there's these words that just come out of her. And you're like, where does that come from? But there's a depth and a reservoir inside of her that this pain has carved inside of her and smoothed out and smoothed out and smoothed out. And then when the Holy Spirit comes and jumps that, pours that, joy into her, she's able to retain that. It's not like a tabletop where it just runs off. There is something to retain this. And so my friends, as we journey this cross, why do we need to walk through the crosses? Because God needs to hollow out in us a place so we can retain more joy. There is a joy that we need to retain, but we have to do that by going through the cross. So the question I'm going to ask you now, and I'm going to finish with as well, is we've asked Jesus into our hearts. A lot of us have said, hey, Jesus, we accept you. We want you into our hearts. But the question I have for you is, are we willing to go into God's heart, the things that God cares about, the thing that God has broken his heart, which includes his cross? Are we willing to go into that? That's a tough question. And I want us to wrestle with that today. So we're going to go into Isaiah 53. Um, So if you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah 53, chapter 53. Um, This is a a incredibly weighty passage. Um, It's been said this is the great Calvary passage. It's called the fifth gospel. Uh, It was Martin Luther said, every Christian ought to be able to repeat this by heart. Um, It's quoted or alluded to more in the New Testament than any Old Testament passage. Uh, So again, as we enter into this, uh, this is, this is, people will say this is like the key passage in the Old Testament. And frankly, as we look at it, you're going to see this is what our faith is built upon. So some context before we jump into this. So this was written by Isaiah. Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus. So again, if you ever question, you know, is, is this whole thing real? Is like legit? Okay, Isaiah wrote this 700 years ago, and it feels like you're sitting right underneath the cross when you're reading this. Uh, it's crazy. But we got to understand that this was, it's in past tense perspective because he wrote this not as Isaiah looking forward, but looking at as the Israelites, the Jewish remnant that would be past the crucifixion, would be looking backwards towards Jesus and the Messiah that they missed and they're making a confession to Jesus. Okay, so it's, it's written from perspective of not him looking forward, but him looking backwards as part of the Jewish community, looking back to making the confession to God. So it's an incredibly unique perspective to look at. So let's read this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that, would, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. 
So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. People of God, this is the word of God. So as Kevin has been teaching us during this past season, um, we need to learn how to be silent and let the Holy Spirit convict us and let words wash over us. And so what I want to do is I want to spend two minutes in silence where you are letting the Spirit convict you uh, from this passage, as well as sitting with the Lord and letting Him speak over you. So if you can, please go with me to two minutes of silence. Thank you for sitting. And if there were things that were convicted, I pray that you write them down, put them someplace, continue to sit in them. Uh, That is the Lord's gift to you. So as I have been praying over this passage, uh, there's five themes that have lifted for me that I want to share today. 
Um, number one is that the, go ahead and put that up on the screen, uh, that one. The humility displayed in the rejection that we gave. So number one, Isaiah 53.2. It starts off and talks about that, that, that there's this tender shoot. Um, and what that is, it's, it's, you know, it's a suckling shoot that's that on a plant when you have the regular shot stock and then there's this shoot that comes out, the thing that basically usually you prune and you cut. And for the Israelites, this would have been so demeaning. I mean, just absolutely demeaning. This is not, this is a very derogatory way to describe a Messiah. And again, it just reminds me of, of Christ and his humility. I mean, we talk about the, the birth you know, in the manger and, and all that that entails. But again, just the humility of the very creator of the heavens and the earth, the, the person that was there at the beginning of time and the fact that he took on us, it still just baffles my mind. You know, it was an unimportant beginning, insignificant, nobody of nobodies, an insignificant family born into an insignificant place and an insignificant town. 30 years as an insignificant carpenter with insignificant education and insignificant connections. Incredibly, incredibly humble. And the turner is also incredibly dry ground that he was born into. Israel itself was stuck in this middle ground of the Roman Empire who was uh, this just overbearing, powerful, whatever you want to do goes. Like whatever you feel, just do that today. At the same point, there was this religious leaders that were pompous and more concerned about the rules and the righteousness of religion than they were relationships. And that's where Jesus was born into. The good news is that revival can start and does start in the most unlikeliest of places. And at the same time, we rejected him in Isaiah 53.3. We rejected Jesus. You know, there's words that, that in the Hebrew, it means sorrow and grief. And sorrow is the mental and emotional anguish. And the grief is this internal sadness and affliction that just wears you down. That's what Jesus was born into. That's what he felt from us. You know, as Jesus walked this earth, he was rejected constantly. He was hated by Satan. He was hated by the demons. Israel rejected him. The leaders that were, that were supposed to be for God rejected him. His own disciples abandoned him. His own father had turned against him and poured out his entire wrath upon him. I mean, we're talking incredible humility with incredible rejection. That's our Savior. Second thing that lifted for me was the pure horrors of the cross. I mean, us as Christians, us as people that have followed, that have followed Jesus for a long time. I mean, me, I'm a 41-year church, whatever you want to call me. I don't know, some word. I wouldn't say veteran, but I don't know if that's even right. But whatever, I've been brought in the church. Because of that, sometimes I take this incredible thing that God has done, and I just kind of like, yep, that's what God did. Like, it, it's, it's so known to me that I forget the incredible depth of what actually occurred here. And so I ask that you look at this with some fresh eyes, like fresh perspective. Like, if you walked in today and knew nothing about anything of God, how would you view this? And here's the thing. In verse 5, he talks about pierced, crushed, wounded. Verse 7, slaughtered. Verse 8, cut off from the land of the living, punished. Verse 10, crushed by God, suffered. Verse 11, suffered, bare. Verse 12, poured out his death, poured out his life unto death. Okay, the word picture for crush 
is, is a Greek word called daka. And daka means the cruel agonies of ending in death. So as you think about the word daka and crushed and what God physically did to Christ, is take that mortal and pestle, you know, where you take that thing and then you, you've got your, then you squirrel it around. Is basically God put Jesus in this mortal and pestle and he crushed and he crushed and he crushed and he spun it around and pretty soon there was fine, fine, fine dust. That's the physical crushing that we're talking about. But the thing is, it wasn't just physical crushing that God did. There's an emotional, there's a spiritual, there's a mental crushing that happened. From nine in the morning to three in the afternoon, Jesus hung on that cross. And for the first three hours, men, us, did everything we could to make life horrible for Jesus. We mocked him, we insulted him, we spit on him. But the last three hours, God turned his wrath upon him as well. The world went dark and we could not see exactly what God was doing, but we can see what outwardly was happening to Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't die a martyr. Sometimes you say Jesus died a martyr, but martyrs, when you read anything on the book of martyrs, martyrs die surrounded by grace. You know, they can go to the stake and they are singing songs. They're praising Jesus. They've, they can quote Bible verses. When Jesus died, he died tasting hell. There was no grace surrounding him. The wrath of God was poured upon him. When he's hanging on that cross and he yells, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is crushing his soul. He is tasting the very depths of hell. Picture the sun and the sun is emanating all the evil and all the sin of the world and it's, it's pouring out of this sun. And if you were like me, I grabbed the magnifying glass when I was a kid and I held it up and I tried to, you know, roast ants or something like that. Take all that evil and God took that magnifying glass and he put it on Christ. All of our sins of the world. That is the horrors of the cross. Now, Jesus, the innocent one, voluntarily submitted himself to this. Because part of me goes, is like, oh my God, like why? 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 Jesus, why? I mean, you were the maker of heavens. Why? And he voluntarily submitted himself to this. It says in John 10, 17, 18, and these are Jesus' words. For the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one is taking it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my Father. Four times in Matthew, he talks about it. Three times in Mark, he talks about it. Three times in Luke, he talks about it. Jesus absolutely knew exactly what he was doing, and he willingly, voluntarily stepped into that for us. As it says in Isaiah 53, 8 and 9, he was completely innocent, spotless, blameless, the land. He had committed no crime. Nothing was ever presented to show that he ever committed a crime. There was no evidence presented. The whole way all went down was completely off the books. He did absolutely nothing wrong. 
but he did it anyway. And as I alluded to earlier, why? Why did Jesus do this? And the thing is, is there's a necessity in the cross. Jesus had to do this. Go to the next slide, please. This wasn't a matter of a raging tyrant who demands violence on someone to satisfy his fury. It's a God who wants a whole relationship with his people, but is prevented from doing that until there is complete justice. And the servant, he found a way to gratify his love and to satisfy his justice. Five years ago or so, we, we studied with Tim Keller's book, King of the Cross, and in that they lays out there was three real reasons why this had to happen. Number one, there was a personal necessity that God wanted to demonstrate his love for us. This unconditional love. Unconditional. I am going to send my son. My son is willingly going to volunteer for this. And we love you unconditionally. And we want to put that on display. Number two was there was a legal necessity. There had to satisfy this law. Okay, Any of us know... When something happens, there has to be a reaction. When there's an action, it causes a reaction. You have to do this. And because of what happened with Adam and Eve and sin, there had to be a legal necessity because God wanted his Rafa. He wanted that relationship. He wanted to restore everything to, everything to its original condition, back to wholeness. The only way that he could do that was to create a sacrificial lamb. In Leviticus 15, 5, 15 and 16, it talks about all the different ways of, of the offerings. And, and the one that is talked about the most is the guilt offering. And in Isaiah 53, 10, which is a different translation, but it says that Jesus would render himself as a guilt offering. And the thing about a guilt, guilt offering is it takes the whole animal and it places it on the altar and it takes the whole thing, but what it does is it's a trespasses offering that it forgives the sins now and it forgives the sins in the future. Jesus was the ultimate guilt offering for all of us. There was a necessity for the law to be satisfied and for the law to be forgiven, of which now we don't we are under that same law because Christ has come. There is a new covenant that Christ created amongst us. And lastly, there was a cosmic necessity to demonstrate the power of the Christ over death. He demonstrated his ultimately that he was going to overcome death. And he wants to bring us there with him, that there is life and life to the full and life in eternal. There is no more sadness for us that remain in Christ Jesus. Okay, I know in the audience today, there's some that have lost loved ones lately. There's some ones that have lost loved ones within the most recent time. And here's the thing, as we cling to, we know that Christ through the cross built a way for us to go into eternal life with him. There was a cosmic necessity that he had to do, and this was the way for him to fulfill this. And we get to walk that path now because of what Christ has done. I mean, it just, it just baffles me. I mean, I, as I stop and I truly think about that, it just... That is incredible. I mean, that is just, it, it's hard to even comprehend. My finite mind can't wrap my head around that, of why a God would ever do that. And lastly, what rose to me is that Jesus took our hell so that we could take his heaven. We were all condemned to hell. I mean, that, that's what we all deserve. 
But Jesus said, no, I will take that on. I will bear that. True love is to bear one another's burdens. Jesus is the ultimate true love that he took that on his shoulders and he said, I will bear this love for you. I will go there because I want to give you my heaven. So while we men and women were doing our worst that we could do to Jesus, God was doing the best that he could do for us sinners. His death is God's work. He is God's lamb chosen by God. God did not delight and take pleasure in crushing his son. He delighted in the purpose that it provided. It was not in his agony. It was in his accomplishments. It was not in his suffering. It was in his salvation that he provided to us. If you truly want to know someone's heart, understand their deepest desires. Understand what satisfies them. And for God, what satisfies them is that he wants to unconditionally demonstrate love to us so that what was meant for our guilt can be forgiven and that we can have life and life eternal with him, the Heavenly Father. That we can be made complete. That Rafa can come in completeness and wholeness. So I ask you again, Many of us have asked God into our hearts. We said, God, come and fulfill us. Come and be with us. Come sit in my heart. But are we willing to go into God's heart? Which includes a cross. Which includes pain. Which includes suffering. For us. Let's pray. Father God, We wrestle this morning. We wrestle that you have done an incredible, an incredible deed for us. Something that we were completely undeserving of. And Father, we, we confess the sin of taking that lightly at times. Blowing by that. And today we lay down and we confess our guilt in putting you on that cross. Father God, may we live as people that understand the pain that you bore for us so that we can go and be your hands and feet into a broken world. May our scars that you've given us, may the scars that you bore on our behalf, may they be on full display for others to allow them to enter into your kingdom. May we take this and make it personal. Father God, we love you. We honor you, we glorify you, we lift you up. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.